Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review, and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals. These conversations create the foundation for my book on what it takes to do HR Like a Boss. I'm joined today by Steve Halloran. Steve was referred to me by a former colleague at ADP, Jim Rafiti. And I'm super excited to get to know Steve a little bit better, as well as uh, work through a number of questions about what it takes to do HR like a boss. So Steve, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your current role, Steve, and what you're doing and a few career highlights. Sure. Uh, my current role is uh, the Vice President of People Services for Advanced Disposal here in uh, headquartered in uh, Ponte Vedra, Florida. Uh, we have uh, a little over 6,000 uh, employees, and uh, we're a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, um, and we're currently in a uh, merger agreement with Waste Management, so we were the number four uh, waste hauler, uh, waste disposal company in the nation. They're number one, so uh, we're in about month 16 of that, uh, which I call merger purgatory. Um, that's uh, taken a long time because of the Department of Justice and then, you know, coronavirus and, uh, you know, doing all the antitrust stuff and things like that. So we're, we're sitting right in that and should close here uh, shortly, but uh, uh, it's been a, <clears throat> it's been a pretty good, pretty good journey. Uh, that, that's consumed, you know, much, <laughs> much of the last year and a half. But in the wow. meantime, you know, in the meantime, we're picking up drafts, right? And uh, we're essential business for, uh, you know, for, for everybody out there, right? Because you, you don't want, uh, you know, let alone the virus hanging around, you surely don't want your uh, trash hanging around. So, uh, uh, you know, it's a good, uh, I call recession-resistant business and uh, now pandemic-resistant business. <laughs> that I'm for in. sure. No doubt. Well, gosh, it's interesting, the complexities you have with such a large um, kind of waste management's reputation as just kind of the leader in that market. And then obviously, buying what is like you said the fourth largest what, what what's been the impact to you from an hr perspective and your people i know i know the the unknowns of a merger are can be crippling at times as it relates to people not knowing what's next and where wh what's coming once the merger is completed so what, what's that been like for you yeah absolutely i mean the, the ambiguity is, is there definitely uh the uncertainty is there uh, we've tried to um you know, work on retention, you know, throughout the year, I think we've done a pretty good job with the leadership uh, by putting some retention bonuses in place, uh, you know, having a, a severance plan in place as a safety net that if, uh, you know, if there were folks that, that fall through the cracks, uh, you know, something there as a safety net that they can, you know, hit the ground running at, onto the next job. Um, you know, from everything we see turnover wise, actually our, our turnover has been great over the last year and a half. Uh, our leadership turnover has been lower than, than normal. So I think those things have worked. Um, of course, you know, some people, you know, want that certainty. So, you know, you have some leave, but I think the, um, the idea of, you know, waste as large as the company, they are fortune 250 and then, uh, the vested buyer coming in kind of gives you, you know, from a talent perspective, hey, I have two suitors here that are looking for talent in a market, in, a, in an industry that's hard to find talent. Um, so I think we're, we're sitting in a good spot. And I think most of the folks that have stuck, you know, stuck through this and have the stick to uh, are seeing that now. So um, 
it, long journey definitely took a lot of patience. And uh, like I say, you, you have to be comfortable in some of that, you know, ambiguity. And I happen to be one of those folks that's comfortable with that. Maybe it's my, uh, you know, south side of Youngstown upbringing, but, um, uh, you know, it does. It takes a lot of patience because you, you don't know what's coming. And, you know, we're kind of putting all those pieces together with the transition plans that we're making with waste management. So uh, future is yet to be determined. Yeah. I'm sure you've been challenged in your in your leadership role in HR and in people uh, responsibilities there at, at your your organization. So, has that helped you further define like the purpose of human resources and and like what your role is obviously during this merger and and and, and what it might look like after after the deal goes through? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, we you know er, early on when I started in in. Uh, late 17, uh, December 2017, we, we started on a journey where I didn't want to call it HR. Um, you know, and I think what you mentioned early on about being a business person that does HR, that's how I've always described myself. And so, you know, I like the, 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 the you know, the servant leader uh, type of, um, uh, you know, those type of books are, have always appealed to me. And I think it's because I think about it from a business standpoint, how do we serve the customer? How do we serve people? And so what we did is we did a rebranding uh, to call it people services instead of, you know, HR. And so, you know, really I'm the vice president of people services and everybody on my team has a people services uh, title so that, you know, we really stay focused on that we serve people. And so, you know, coming back to, you know, your question, you know, I think leaning back on that, that we serve people, you know, in a time of ambiguity, you know, sometimes we don't have all the answers. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they need EAP. Uh, sometimes they need uh, just a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they need, you know, a little bit of toughness to tell them, you know, what are you crazy? You're going to give up this much money sitting on the table. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, that my team has really served and, and really uh, played that role very well as a servant leader in, in, in the people services department. So uh, definitely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and we're, we're, uh, we, we took that same mantra within my, my small firm. Um, we call it people operations is, is how we, we deem it because it touches more than just, um, just HR. It's got accounting and IT and other things within our, our small business but yeah i know that that makes a ton of sense so so in in your career steve what what is uh what have you enjoyed the most about working in uh well people services i guess i should call i shouldn't call it hr right <laughs> yeah. you know i mean the, you know obviously the people if you, if you don't like people and you're working in hr um you know you're gonna have some long days but uh i think it, it gives you a different uh, you know it's a different day all the time because uh, you, you never know what to expect from people sometimes. Uh, you, you know, you get different problems you have to work on and different opportunities you have to work on. Um, you know, I certainly love, um, you know, <clears throat> seeing, uh, you know, succession planning and, and things that, you know, we've tried to, you know, put kind of a, you know, leadership pipeline, uh, career pathing in place. I, I love seeing that happen. Um, you know, and especially now as we, you know, as we look to merge into a larger company, you know, I think our people are well prepared to be able to step into that company because of, 
you know, the, the challenges we, we provided to them, the training that we provided to them. And, uh, um, you know, I think they can, they can mix it up with anybody. Yeah. So, so, so your, your success ends up becoming a bunch of other people's success, right. In their, in their career journey and succession planning. Is, is there, is there anything in particular that you've done uh, within your current organization or in your, or in your career that's put you in a position to increase your chances of, picking the right people to succeed your current leaders or, or put performance management programs in place um, to, to set them up for success. Any, any one or two things that, that sticks out to you? Yeah. You know, I, I think the number one thing, and we, you know, we did it here and I've tried to install this type, same type of uh, program anywhere I've been, uh, you know, similar, uh, you know, we talked about the Cleveland Browns, right? You have the Cozart Jersey there. It's around, it's, it's about getting the right people. If you have the right people, um, you know, I, I don't want to say policies don't matter or procedures don't matter, but when you have the right people, they just know how to do the right thing inherently, uh, it seems like. And um, just like when you have the right players, they tend to make the plays, right? They tend to be in the right spot at the right time. And, you know, it, it's an innate um, attitude, right? It's attitude over aptitude, right? Um, and I like the higher attitude. And um, I'll, I'll take attitude any day and I'll train that person that has the right attitude. And I think, you know, what we did from, you know, that basic premise, that, that basic philosophy is we put in a system, you know, the recruitment process outsourcing system that allowed us to focus on um, really talking to people and slowing down the talent acquisition so we can speed it up, right? So slow it down in the areas where it was administrative and task oriented and slow it down um, where we can spend more time, you know, take, take a driver to lunch, take a technician to lunch. You know, drivers are uh, our lifeblood, our technicians are our lifeblood. You know, if we don't have trucks on the road, we're not picking up, you know, trash. If we don't have technicians, you know, repairing those trucks and maintaining those trucks, we don't have trucks for the drivers to get into. And with the, um, the driver shortage that you see out there, uh, you know, if you don't have the players, you're, you know, you have a bunch of managers jumping in the trucks now working in the business, not working on the business, right? So, so that was a, a big area of focus for me. And it's always been a big area of focus is that let's, let's get a system that works 24-7 with the right branding, you know, with the right, um, you know, with the right, uh, you know, mechanics, right? So that, okay, we have that working and that's the mousetrap, but then we can focus on really um, taking the time and, and really evaluating the talent, uh, you know, through the selection process of screening, of uh, interviewing, of uh, doing the background checks, right? And, uh, and getting the right people in place. And what we've seen, we've seen those results in, you know, better safety. We've seen those results in better turnover uh, we've seen those results in, you know, less uh, less community service letters, like when you're picking up for a community, right? And you have uh, big penalties if you if you miss a day or miss a you know miss a few days of trash, right? There, people aren't happy about that. Elected officials aren't happy about those type of things, so they tend to uh, impose uh, you know some pretty harsh penalties uh, upon uh, a provider like us. So. We, we've seen all of that decrease and um, I, I feel pretty good about that because that was really what it was all about. It was, uh, it was a draft to me. It was a, it was a sports model to me 
to uh, you know, you know, take it and 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 put it into a, a live model, but for a business, really, and um, you know, it, it works. You know, it's all about getting the right people. Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. And nowadays, you see these. Uh, I saw they were talking about on Sports Center yesterday or recently about these super teams and all, all the players being in, in the bubble, right, in the NBA. And now they can create those relationships and create those super teams with all these talented players, right? It's, it's really cool to watch when you have them on your team, but it's really not cool to watch when they're not. So I'm curious in that point, we're talking about standout. Is there any, anything in particular for you, Steve, over your career and working with a variety of different HR professionals, if there were a couple characteristics they thought stood out to you that made them an, an A player, a talented HR professional? Huh, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say uh, characteristics, I would say, um, you know, I like people who are open and honest, right? I like people who are transparent. Um, I like people who are collaborative, you know, when I look back at my career um, and yet, you know, vulnerable at the same time, you know, they're not afraid to say if they're wrong or not afraid to get, uh, you know, information that, that bubbles up from the bottom, you know, to them and, and they don't know all the answers. I think those folks um, are the tough ones, right? I think, it, I think it takes a tougher approach these days. You have to, a tougher mental mindset these days to be like that than to be maybe the old fashioned uh, command and control type of leader of the days past where you had, you know, you felt like you had to know all the answers, you had to be smarter than your team. To me, it's about, you know, like you say, super teams, it's about being the smart person to know you're not the smartest in the room <laughs> or the best talent in the room, uh, that there's always somebody that brings something to the table that, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I watched those uh, Michael Jordan episodes, right? And it just brings back memories. I mean, I love LeBron, but man, Jordan had a, had a way to bring out the talent and, you know, Phil, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. Phil right Jackson, now. yeah, the coach, yeah. Yeah, he had a way of, of doing that to where you bring a Rodman on the team and all of a sudden you got a rebounder and a defensive person play the role, right? You know, you got, you know, Jordan doing his thing, obviously. You have, you know, uh, three-point aces. I mean, he, he knew how to kind of corral that together, right, to know that, um, you know, he, you know, you needed, you needed all of that to really, you know, make a complete team and win six championships as opposed to, you know, okay, win one or two and you're just like everybody else. When you win six, you know, now you're going to have, you know, statues erected, uh, you know. Around. Exactly. Yeah, so to me, that, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, I think a standout HR professional helps to in an organization helps bring you know helps foster that type of culture that is open and transparent and and um and humble vulnerable whatever you want to call it um by you know putting the right talent strategies in place in the first place so you find those type of people right and it becomes the culture it becomes the you know inbred into that organization and, um, and again, you know, you know, those type of organizations, I think, rely less on policy and less on procedure and less on discipline because, you know, the, those, those players know how, to, know how to put it together, right? They know how to play the yeah. game. So. Yeah. 
you know, you, you can tell with my backdrop, I, I love sports analogies. I try, I try not to overuse them too much because at some point people start looking at me like, hey, can we talk about something other than sports? But you're, you're, ta- you're talking to me, which I, I, I love. I love that. That's, that's, I get that's that with awesome. my wife all the time. Like, why are you always talking about sports and business? You know? But to yeah. me, it's, you know, I, I learned Tremendous a lot. Correlation. Sports yeah. that, that translates right into business, right? Yeah. Well, I know, I know not everybody can like um, everything in this, in this world or through the communication. And one thing that I, I bring up in the course of the, the book will be the concept of uh, why do employees not like HR? Um, there's a, kind of can be this general dislike yeah. right, to, to, to the function of human resources. Do you, do you have any personal stories or experiences or an opinion on why you think human resources can be um, not beloved within an organization? Yeah, no, I, I, I have a, uh, I think a real good uh, story, actually. It's my own personal story because I hated HR people. <laughs> I was one of them. I was a general manager for Lazy Boy for about 15 years. Uh, grew up, uh, you know, in a franchise business for about 11 and then went to the corporate side for about four. And so, um, did, you know, I didn't realize when I had the family business for that 11 years, I did a lot of HR stuff. I didn't realize that till later in life. Because we were the trainers, we were, you know, we were the talent acquisition, we were the work comp people, we were the benefits people, we we were it all, right? We we were doing everything, um, you know, along with going out on the sales floor. What ended up happening was I went to the corporate side of Lazy Boy, and you know, we had to uh, undergo a big, uh, really big program uh, that the CEO, you know, tapped us to do. I was in the New York metro area and I ended up uh, getting tapped to go to Boston and Miami and, and basically every big city where it was high rents, high payroll, you know, high advertising costs. And what was happening was they were um, what they call VIEs, variable interest entities, meaning that they owed Lazy Boy more in, in, uh, in payables than their, what their businesses were worth. So we had to go in there basically as turnaround agent, right? Because I knew franchisees, I had to go in there as a business person, as a general manager and help close warehouses, close stores, open new ones, find the right locations, get the right people in place, get the right team in place. And so I had to work with a lot of HR people, right, to do all that, Warren Acts, um, you know, closing down markets, things like that, opening up maybe some new markets or opening up some new stores. And I, I felt my, I felt, um, I would get hot inside sometimes and I would sit with the HR person, right? And I, and I get heated and I go, what, okay, time out. What, what are you doing? And we'd have to step outside and I go, stop talking to these people, okay? You do not know what you're doing, okay? You, you, you know, you have the ability to change people's lives in a positive way, in a negative way. This is one of those negative ways, right? But there's a better way to do it, right? And, um, and so, you know, through some of those conversations, I was able to actually convince corporate HR or corp, you know, corporate HR, corporate management at Lazy Boy do more outplacement and uh, do a little bit more severance and things like that. When when you're surprising people like this, right, and giving them those type that 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 type of news. So at that time, I had no desire to go into HR. I just knew that I really didn't want to be around HR people. And um, you know, unfortunately, the recession hit. Um, you know, uh, we had cleaned up all the stuff we needed to clean up. And it became a time where, um, you know, there's an opportunity for me to take a buyout uh, through a RIF. I took it. 
and had a little bit of time to sit back and think about what do I want to be when I grew up, right? And, um, you know, I was, what, 30, what was I, 36-ish years old, 37 years old. And, you know, I started thinking, gosh, you know, I, uh, and I did, some, I did some teaching down at Youngstown State on entrepreneurship and do the Monus Business School and all that. So I really had a lot of time to think. And I thought, you know, the HR thing, I think I could be good at. I don't see any people. It seems like there isn't a lot of people that have uh, an MBA like I had, that had business knowledge like I had, new P&L like I did, that can go into HR, right? And so, you know, I thought strategically from a career standpoint, it'd be a good idea. It's proven, it's proven out to be that way. I realized also that I, even up to today, I've never reported to anybody less than either a president, an owner, or a CEO. And I think the reason for that is because of exactly that, is that um, I'm able to practice HR as a business, with a business mindset, right? And so, I think, a, you know, long way around it, but I think the problem with HR people in the past, I see it happening more and more now where they're becoming more the HR business partners, right? Uh, but in the past, I think the, the um, uh, you know, the knock on HR was they didn't, they didn't know enough about the business. They, they really didn't. They need to know the business. You need to know what makes the business tick. How do you make money? How do you not make money? Um, and, uh, you know, you know, what's the expense, what's the, what's the expense areas. And so when you tie in with the CEO and I think the CFO, like I, I try to do, um, you know, I, I think that, that mean that it changes everything. It change you get a seat at the table that way. Cause you bring value. You know, the first thing I did was looked at how much we are spending here, um, in third party staffing, you know, it was about 20 million and markup was about 8 million. First thing I attacked was that, right? In in a couple areas where we were able to change it. And all I wanted to do was just change it by a, a mill. That's it. And it paid for every program that I wanted to bring in place. And the other thing I wanted to do was, you know, change the fact that we put the program in place, we'd reduce overtime by maybe a half a percent. And that was another mill, right? So for $2 million, I was able to fund every program that I wanted to put in place. And that was the direct cost. It wasn't the indirect cost that I think we're seeing now. We're seeing lots of good indirect things happen where managers do have time to work on the business, not in the business. Managers do have time to teach safety. They do have time to, to spend and doing observations and coaching and all that. So, you know, I think that's the number one thing is you got to tie into what makes the business tick. You know, it's uh, personal objectives and and the business objectives. And uh, to me, it's the HR objectives. When I put my HR strategic plan together here, it was in lockstep with the, with the business plan, the three to five year business plan. And um, if I was off a little bit, then I changed it. And, and then we, what we did is we created our metrics then from that. And uh, I mean, long winded answer, but I think that's it. I mean, it's just, you gotta know business and that doesn't, you know, that isn't for everybody. Not everybody's a businessman, right? So yeah. Uh, that's how I look at it. No, I, I think it, it's, it's, you hit right on it. And it, it was a great story. I, pr I appreciate you, you providing all that context to get to that because it, it I, I was not expecting you to tell me that as the kind of VP of people services that, uh, yeah, I, I hated HR and here, here's why. And um, that, that, that was, that was a cool journey that you, you, you took me through. And I, and I appreciate that. I think 
the interesting thing that, that I heard in particular about that is the fact that you know, your ability to, to look at the numbers or look at the business in a way that then provided you the opportunity to spend that money in a different way that not only did you end up paying for the, the additional things you want to do, but then you had this prominent potential impact that you weren't getting on the, the margin up, you know, the, the margin um, spend that you had uh, or, or the markup. Um, so you, you, you found a way to, to, to make the math work. And I think, I think the more that in, in my point, in one of the points in the book that, that will make hopefully pretty clear is that I think HR has the most profound impact, Steve, to touch the entire organization in that way and kind of teach them that concept, right. Of how the financial well-being of the business, just like you are at home, like as well as we're doing at home, the more we can go on a vacation or we can maybe get a slightly nicer car or we could, if we want to move, we can move to a slightly different house. But when we don't have that financial affordability, then you're in a unique spot. And um, I think HR has a profound impact to educate themselves in that regard and get, get really get it. And then from there, share that with the rest of the organization, the rest of the employees, because then you start, then everybody starts to understand how this whole business works, right? And oh, now, now I know what my role, how my role has a direct impact on the well-being of the business. And you connect that purpose of the business and what you're trying to accomplish to a person's role. And I, I think there, I think there's profound power there. So you, you met, you mentioned in a, previously and a few times in our discussion about the, the, the criticalness of hiring the right talent. Is, is there a particular question or behavioral based kind of series of things you try to get at Steve relative to trying to find the, the right fit for a, a new, a new uh, person to join your organization? Yeah. You know, I, I saw that in some of the notes that you had provided and, you know, I realized that I, I always use the same, um, that's what I had it sitting here. I, I always use the same, I don't even know where I got, I, yeah, I got it from Sherm. Um, that, um, uh, what do they call it? The, I think it's the most impactful, but no, no interview questions that cut to the chase. That's what it's called. <laughs> and I, and I, and I love these and I, I've used them, gosh, I, I want to say for the past 10, 15 years. Right. Um, you know, and I, I think I've adjusted it a little bit here and there, but, but I always love the one, um, because I'm big on collaboration and, and, and being transparent and all that. Um, I always ask the one, you know, tell me about a time when there was an objection or differences of opinion to your ideas. You know, what did you do to convince the parties um, involved of your ideas or how did you reach a compromise, right? And maybe that's some of my sale, my retail sales background because <laughs> um, I'm always looking for, you know, every time you get a no, eventually you'll get a yes. And if, if I can't have people in on my team or in the organization that, you know, if they stop at every no, if I stopped at every no I get from my CEO, I'd never get anything accomplished, right? Because the first thing he says is, nah, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, but hold on a second. Listen here. Listen, listen for a second, right? And and then, you know, okay, I'll I'll take my tail between my legs, but then I come back maybe a month later and go, hey, remember we were talking about this, right? And I, I did that just recently and he goes, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see, I can see where that would, that would work. You know, I think, um, you know, it's that stick-to-itiveness and, and, uh, and kind of um, perseverance, right, that uh, you, you have to have. Again, it's the attitude. I guess it's an attitude uh, scale that I'm looking for from somebody uh, as opposed to, you know, tell me what your grade point is or 
you know, show me all your accolades and all that. I mean, that, that shows me you have the capacity to learn, but the capacity to keep running through the wall, you know, and get over the wall. Um, you know, I try to ask him that question. I, I got a few on here that I always like, but, um, yeah, I always pull this out, interview questions that cut to the chase. And, um, you know, and that's always one I like. That's a great resource. Yeah. And it gets to that kind of collaboration and, and how, how you work together well. And then, and then, like you said, um, handle an objection or get, getting that no, because uh, that's going to happen quite a bit. Yeah. So, um, and I know going back and maybe, maybe this is at that point when uh, you decided that uh, af after doing some teaching at, at YSU and, and, and that buyout you talked about and you had a chance to start your career in HR, if now, if now you could go back to that, that younger Steve and provide, provide him with some unique uh, counsel or advice, what, what, would, what would you tell him knowing what you know now back then? Yeah, that's a good one. Um... You know, the, old, the older you get, the, the, the smarter you get, right? At least it seems that way. Um, you know, and I, I tell people this all the time. I mean, and I, and I mean this, I, I don't know. I don't know if I change. I, I like the mistakes I made, to be honest with you. I like, I like the journey that I had because I don't know if I'd be the HR person I am today. Not that I'm the, the best HR person by any means. I'm always learning and there, there's nobody perfect out there, but you know, the bumps and the bruises and, uh, you know, the going through the, you know, the P&L and, and learning more from a business track standpoint. Gosh, I mean, I, I thought that was the, some of the best training I could have had. Um, you know, I mean, I think all of our moms probably told us, you know, all I want, you know, my son to do is work for, you know, Fortune 500 company or something like that, right? Maybe if I, you know, I probably could have learned, um, uh, less of the hard knocks way of HR by maybe, you know, jumping on board, you know, with a bigger company and learning some, some of those processes and systems, uh, you know, by that, by, by doing that maybe, but, um, you know, instead I had to come up with things on my own and I find out later, oh, wait, there's already something that's designed <laughs> like that. But, uh, you know, I look back at it now, I, I know that stuff pretty well in and out you know, when it comes to any topic HR, I feel pretty comfortable in, in, in uh, you know, in any of those topics. So it's hard for me to answer that question and say I would change anything other than, you know, I probably could have made my path a little bit easier <laughs> if I listened, yeah. to, listened to my parents, you know, go work, work for a Fortune 500 company. But uh, anyway. Yeah, the, fa the, fab the fabric. I'll end up with a Fortune 250 company here with, uh, yeah. in full time. <laughs> Let's hope so, right? Yeah, you've been waiting long enough. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the fa the fabric you have is interesting from your career journey. You mentioned you you, you were doing HR and you didn't even know it, right? You kind of you were practicing some of the things and you were making tons of mistakes. I know we we've maybe overkilled the sports analogies or comments, but one of my favorite, at least as a golfer, I I, I heard it came from him. Jack Nicholas's favorite. One of his favorite sayings is he hates losing more than he likes to win. Right. So all your abilities of like all the mistakes you made and the things you learn in that journey, as opposed to when you get, you get it right. It's like, okay, cool. Pat on the back and go on. But the time that you lose or make a mistake is profound. The impact it can make on, on how you you'll do it different a time, a time again. So yeah, you, certainly, you certainly remember it more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No, no doubt is right. 
Well, hey, I appreciate you spending the time. I'll get you out of here on this one. I know it's it's on the premise of the book. So if you had a chance to describe uh, someone that does HR like a boss, what would, be, what would be your answer to that one? Yeah, good one. Um, you know, HR like a boss, I think uh, somebody who does HR like a boss, I mean, to me, a good boss and good HR would be somebody who serves the people. I mean, I think it's a servant leader. I think it's uh, somebody who understands the business um, and, uh, you know, not afraid to, you know, not afraid to uh, ask the right questions when they don't know the answer. Um, that to me is HR like a boss, um, you know, and that, you know, I'd like to think that my, my folks that work for me, um, you know, think that way. And, and, and also that I got their back. Right. Um, that I got people's back that when the, you know, when the clock's uh, five seconds on the clock and, uh, you know, uh, you know, give me the ball and I'll take care of you. Right. Um, you know, or if they're in a bad spot, uh, they know they can depend on. Me. I mean, I think that's HR like a boss. You know, it's empathetic leadership, um, you know, as a servant leader. Sure. Yeah. No, I love those points. Yeah. Servant leadership, learning from your mistakes. And knowing your number one job from what I learned today is to surround yourself with a bunch of people that are smarter than you, right? Because as a result of that, then yep. you'll be on, on a team that's, that's, that's super successful and your job to collaborate and bring them all together and, and play in harmony, right? As, as, we, as we use that sports analogy. So yep. Steve, I really appreciate your time. I, w I wish you nothing but uh, continued success. Good luck with uh, closing that deal down, making that happen. And, uh, yeah, thanks, John. Good luck with the book. Yeah, we'll okay. see it. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.